Today on the season two finale of School Dia, Clint and Chad talk about how being treated like a human being makes them happy, debate the merits of homework, and talk about their upcoming summer vacations in Dad Chat. Okay, enjoy the episode. Hello from Roanoke. This is Clint. And this is Chad and Astoria. It's that time again. That's right. Time for another episode in the season two finale of your favorite teaching podcast, Schoolja. A podcast by two middle-aged teachers, dads, and hipster doofuses who talk across the country about their combined 30-plus years of education experiences. Our goal is to make a podcast that teachers and anyone else find as fun and interesting as a documentary about amusement parks. Wait. What? Well, you know, fun, like amusement parks are fun, and interesting, like documentaries are fun. We just want to combine both of those things. (laughs) Got it. I think I'd rather just go to an amusement park. You know, those really make me happy. Me too. But uh, speaking of things that make us happy, or I guess really kind of unhappy, a few weeks ago on a previous podcast, we had a pretty good time sharing a few of our pet peeves that students do from time to time that tend to stick in our craw. (laughs) That's such a weird expression. Uh, But we really do like our students most of the time. And truth be told, most of what they do makes us pretty darn happy. So for our final intro segment of season two, we thought we'd share a few things kids really do to make us smile. Clint, you go first. Okay, well, my first one is actually something that just happened recently, and that is when students have sincere suggestions about things that we could do in class that would be fun and interesting. And this student came to me and said, hey, Mr. Hill, for our review session for the end of the year, can we make a gim kit? And I said, I don't know what that means. And he said, it's an online review game. I said, I don't know how to do that. And he said, I'll make you one. And he went out and made this whole uh, setup, and we played it as a class, and it was a really fun time for everybody. So I love it when kids take initiative, and they really want to like improve the class. The one I think about, and especially this time of year, sincere gratitude from students for teaching them. And um, I think sometimes at the high school level, especially, like I don't think they, they think very often to just say thank you or to really sit down or, or think about and appreciate the work that, that you've done as a teacher. And so every once in a while, when a student genuinely looks you in the eye and or takes time out of their day to come in and say thank you, man, that means so much. And when those things happen, it, it totally makes my day. Yeah, it really does. I love that too. And actually, I've got a connection to that one is for my second one, which is when students go the extra step and they write you a little note and tell you how it is that you've been impactful in their life or what it is about your class that you really enjoyed or whatever. And that really does make a a big difference. I actually have in my file cabinet a file that is labeled Smile File. I think I've talked about this before. It's got all the old notes and things and cards and, and whatnot that students have given me over the years. And every once in a while when I'm When I'm feeling blue, (laughs) I will pull it out and look through, and it does change the way that I feel about being at school and and kind of improves the attitude. So, yeah, things that that you can hang on to for a while are really helpful as well. Kind of all along the same lines here. When my students ask me or want to talk about my kids or my wife or or things that are going on in my life outside of school, kind of generally showing interest in me as as a person versus their teacher, that's always nice, and I enjoy those conversations. I have students who have my wife as a dance teacher or who know my kids and getting to just talk to kids about other things that aren't math related and especially when they start that conversation always helps me out a little bit too. 
My final one is I love it when kids, now that I teach freshmen, this is very different than when you teach seniors. When you teach seniors, at the end of the year, they're gone, and you probably won't ever see them again. With social media, you catch glimpses of them every once in a while. But now that I teach freshmen, I can see them in the halls all the time. And just the general acknowledgement uh, of seeing them in the halls, and they're like, hey, Mr. Hill, that's really, really nice. And even more than that is when they stop by every once in a while as you're standing in the hall, or they just pop into your classroom and ask how you're doing and see what's going on. Uh, I really love that. I, I love the fact that the kids care enough to acknowledge me, even though as teenagers they are very caught up in their own worlds, and they like to interact. Uh, one of the things that's kind of weird about where I teach now as opposed to where I used to teach in Astoria. In Astoria, it's such a small town that no matter where you go anywhere in the city, you are going to see people that you know. But now I see kids every once in a while, like in the grocery store or whatever, and it's pretty cool when they're like, hey, it's Mr. Hill, and they introduce me to their parents and that kind of thing. That sort of acknowledgement of, hey, you're a, you're a person that I know and I kind of like you. And that does make you feel a little bit better about life. So so my last one, and, and I know you're very much the same way, is this job, uh, I wouldn't do it if I couldn't laugh and joke and, and have fun with kids. And there are certainly some students who you can joke with more, uh, whether it just be that you kind of have a similar sense of humor or they just kind of have that personality where they enjoy joking and, and giving each other a hard time and things like that. And, you know, there's certain days where I need a certain kid to be in my class at that moment. So we can have a laugh just to kind of keep you going. So I really appreciate that as well. Absolutely. Humor is one of the biggest things uh, that makes my life worth living. Being able to be around kids that enjoy a good joke and like to play around a little bit, but also know when it's a good time to do that and when maybe they should cut it out. So those are just a few of the things that our students do to make our day. Do you have any that you'd like to share? If so, send us an email. Our address is schooljapodcast at gmail.com. We would love to hear from you. And now let's hear a word from one of our sponsors. Have you fallen victim to angry email syndrome? You know that message you write in haste with your emotions and not with your brain? And while it seemed like a good idea when you hit send at 6 p.m., it's now 6 a.m. and you're having some regrets. Worry no more about those potentially embarrassing or troublesome faux pas with Idiot Proof Defense, the outbox security platform that protects you from you. IP Defense uses a proprietary three-pronged approach at detecting and protecting to keep your outgoing message box clean. First, it scans for millions of potential words and phrases that would indicate you're writing an emotionally driven, angry, or irrational email. Next, IPD bombards you with pop-up messages questioning your choices and then aggressively encouraging you to stop your idiotic behavior. It's sort of like your sober friend in college. Last, after you've ignored step two, IPD delays the sending of your email up to 12 hours. So you can get your mind right and rethink the whole thing, and you'll be so glad you did. So if you're like many and you can't seem to get out of your own virtual way, give Idiot Proof Defense a try, and you'll never have to sneak through the back door at work ever again. And welcome back to the show. Well, Chad, it's hard to believe summer break is either here for me or just a few days away for you. Uh, let's mail this one in, man, and let's just talk about our favorite summertime activities. No, I am the consummate podcasting professional. My journalistic reputation is on the line here. I say, <laughs> okay, sorry. I say we tackle a hard-hitting educational topic to keep our listeners buzzing over the summer. Okay, well, I'm not sure about the podcasting professional part. I'm on board with a big topic today. How about this? The age-old debate about homework. Yes. Yeah, is it is it beneficial or is it a waste of time? Does it teach our kids skills such as work ethic and self-reliance? Or is it kind of an out-of-date practice with no practical purpose? You know, the other thing is what age should kids start being assigned homework? And how much homework is too much? So let's talk about that. I 
love it. So one of the things that when you teach freshmen at different levels, I guess it's this way in all classes, I have different policies for different populations. My general ed kids, I give very little homework to, and my upper level pre-AP students, I give quite a bit of homework to. And the reason for that is that uh, I have had bad experience with giving lower level kids anything to do at home because generally they don't do it. And sometimes that's because they're lazy, but oftentimes it's because they're coming from homes where they have other responsibilities. And so I don't tend to give a ton of homework to them, but my upper level kids generally have something that they either need to read or write every day. What about you, Chad? Well, you know, math is one of those skills that does require practice. Um, You know, it's kind of like anything else. I was thinking about this before we re-recorded, but there's been so many times where, you know, someone's shown me something and I've got a chance to do it once or I watch it. Here's a great example. I'm trying to figure something out for home improvement or something. I see something on YouTube and it makes sense when I'm watching somebody do it. But if I don't go do it right away, it will disappear. And so I think there's probably a lot of brain research out there that says that you have to practice a little bit. And so certainly in math, homework is a part of what we do. If I didn't assign homework, then I I think our kids would really struggle. That being said, almost every night there's some homework assigned. It's intended to be fairly minimal. I tell students that if you spend more than 20 minutes uh, an evening on your homework, you should stop. So I really want to try to limit it because I understand that there's a lot going on. But my experiences are very much the same, Clint. I have a variety of students from kind of different backgrounds in each class. I don't necessarily have a higher or lower level. They're kind of all mixed together. And if I probably separated the kids that frequently do homework and didn't, it would probably look kind of how you're describing your classes. So I I do assign it, but it doesn't always get done. So I guess the big question is, what is our purpose for homework? What is it that you want the kids to get out of it? It sounds like what you're saying is that you've given them a concept and they need to practice it so that it sticks in their head. Is that kind of what you're... Yes, absolutely. For me, it's a little different. Sometimes what I need them to do is read part of a novel so that we have something to discuss because I find it wasteful to spend time in class reading something that they could have done at home so that we have more time to do activities with it. That's mostly my purpose in homework. It's not so much practicing skills as it is completing stuff so that we can then do the things that we need to do. For me, and I'm guessing you're probably similar, I know the geometry class assigns homework and I know algebra two assigns homework and I know that pre-calc assigns homework and I know that every other class that they're going to take in math, they are going to have to get used to doing homework. And so I've always felt that as a teacher of primarily freshmen, part of my job is to also help build academic skills. And so that is also what we're trying to do is to get them comfortable and used to scheduling their times in the afternoons or evenings to get homework done. Do you feel like that's part of what you do as well? Um, In some cases, it's interesting that we're talking about this time around because I have some changes that I'm planning on doing with my pre-AP classes because I'm going to be mostly teaching pre-AP next year. I'm planning on making my homework kind of flip the classroom a little bit and have my homework be some of the skill-based things now with grammar and other stuff. I'm putting together a Moodle page so that I can have them doing those kinds of things at home. And then, especially at the beginning of the year, taking the time in class to show them how to do analysis in class and have them work together analyzing the literature more carefully. So I guess it might sound like I'm contradicting everything that I said before, but I I have been thinking about how am I going to make homework more effective because I I, I think that what I've been doing in the past for some students works fine, but for a lot of students, they're like, okay, I have to read this book, but I don't understand anything that's happening and I don't know the context and I don't get it. And then it becomes sort of a waste. And I think that uh, if I can give them things to do at home so that they have those skills, those study skills, and then in class, we work more on the 
analytical skills, I could use it a little better. So I don't know. It's kind of up in the air, and and I'm I'm still working through it. Even after you know 17 years of teaching, I'm still trying to figure out the best way to do it. You had mentioned something, I and I wonder if you could go in a little more detail. You said something about flipping the classroom, and that's certainly a term that that I understand, and I know we've had some teachers in our school do that. But could you talk about that a little bit more? What that means generally speaking, not just in your class? So flipping the classroom, it's having the students do some of the traditional lecture instruction type work at home using the internet and YouTube videos and whatever else to kind of teach themselves. Similarly to how when you want to do a home improvement project, you look at a YouTube video, you kind of watch what they do, and then you try to practice that same thing. And then when you come into class, it becomes an opportunity to answer questions and to put those skills that they learned into practice with the teacher so that the teacher can then guide the student through the higher level thinking and application of those skills. You know, using math as a, another example for flipping the classroom, I know we had a teacher a few years ago who who tried this out. And essentially, if you think about it, giving a, a lecture, let's say, in a class, which we don't really do in our curriculum anymore, but if I was going to spend 50 minutes teaching kids a, a concept, a math concept, and expected them to go home and then practice it as homework, if they get home and on the first problem, they're already struggling or they can't remember what the second step is, and so therefore they can't continue, then really the 50 minutes we we spent in class was kind of wasted. And then now doing the homework is not helping them because they're either practicing the wrong skill or they're not practicing at all. So maybe the teacher makes a video that students go home and watch, or they assign them to something that they find online. They do the lecture at home as their homework. And then really they're coming into class simply to practice. And as they get stuck and as they have problems, then the teacher can kind of intervene and help. It's a it's an interesting concept that does make sense at least when you when you kind of hear the the explanation. And I think it it matters what population of students you're working with, uh, not just age level but also socioeconomic status. In other words, the student has to have technology at home where they can do that, and they have to have a home environment that is conducive to learning. If you go home and your little brother is constantly screaming, and your parents aren't home because they both work two jobs uh, trying to make rent, and you're in charge of them. You don't really have time to do that kind of a thing. And so it, it, it depends. And, and you've got to kind of figure out a way to make it work with students who are of an upper level, upper socioeconomic status, or perhaps a school that gives their kids computers to take home or whatever, then maybe that makes more sense. And so it's, I don't know, there's a lot of variables. There's a lot of nuance. Uh, everything is complicated. And I think that's why we're still having this kind of a discussion. But I think that also kind of begs the question, not only what populations is homework effective, but really at what age should kids start coming home with homework. Yeah. And I, you know, I don't have an answer to this. I mean, I would love to hear input from elementary and middle school teachers to see if there's kind of a agreed upon age. Uh, I know my daughter's in fourth grade and she will periodically bring things home, but they are typically things that she did not get done in class. I don't know if she's really ever had something assigned as homework, but I don't, I don't have an answer to it. I mean, again, I feel like I want my kids as freshmen to at least be used to that concept. I want my kids when they come to me as ninth graders to know that you're going to have homework and have something built into kind of their habits to be successful with that. So I, I would say at some point in middle school, I want that to, to start happening. Um, what about you? I mean, you've had your own students uh, are older than mine and they've kind of come through the ranks. What have you seen? When we were in Astoria, we definitely had, it was a different philosophy. There was a lot less homework in, in the elementary grades. Now my youngest daughter is coming home with math homework and social studies homework and other kinds of things pretty much every night. But And she's in fourth grade. She's in fourth grade, yes. Sorry. And she, but each one of those assignments,
assignments is like 10 minutes worth of work. So she has generally 30 minutes of homework every day and she gets into the habit of coming home and this is what I do first and take care of take care of the things that she needs to do. So I think that it's good in that it's teaching her skills. It depends on what it is that she's being asked to do. Uh, one of the biggest problems I have with homework is that we as teachers don't really have the opportunity to model how to do your homework because we're not in the home. We can teach them how to behave at school and we can model how to do schoolwork, but a lot of kids just don't seem to have the skill to study. They don't understand what it means to study, and I don't know how best to get that across because it seems to be a child whose parents have gone through education and been successful. They're the ones that teach them that, and we don't really have the opportunity to pass that on. And I don't know how to fix that, but that's just sort of a thing that was striking me is like one of the things we wrote down is preparing students for college or post high school life. A lot of kids go to college and don't really know how to study because they never really had to do it because maybe they weren't asked to do much homework and they weren't asked to study outside of school. So it's so complicated. And perhaps that is something that just that that's what you learn when you get to college. I, I don't know. I know I certainly was in the same boat as a high school student. I didn't do a lot of homework and it was a rough freshman year for me when I went to college and, and realized I had to learn this. But I did. I, I figured out how to do it. And so maybe we put too much emphasis on that and that it is our duty to prepare these kids for that particular skill as they move on to, to college. Maybe that's something they, they need to figure out as they go. One of the things that I think helps students kind of wrap their heads around the importance of homework and also maybe parents too who are questioning whether or not it's necessary is if, if a student's getting assignments that seem relevant and seem important and make sense as to why these need to be done at home, I think that's much easier pill to swallow than assignments and homework that seems fluffy and relatively unnecessary just for the sake of doing homework. You know, one of the things I really struggle with and is students kind of seeing homework as a box to check so that they get points. And I would love to just not even assign points to homework, but obviously, if, especially with freshmen, I know if, if I do that, then... There's got to be some kind of motivator. Right. But one of the things that I do is, is every day when, when we start class after a homework assignment, the first thing they are supposed to be doing is checking their answers. And, and I spend a lot of time really preaching and teaching that the homework is essentially irrelevant if you don't know how you did on it. So kids really see it as, well, I went through these seven problems, I did them. And really until they get a chance to get that feedback or to see, oh, I, I got three of them right and four of them I got wrong, so now I know where my weaknesses are. Um, unless they go through that process, then it, it really isn't effective. I, I, I use the analogy a lot that it'd be like shooting hoops in the dark. If you don't know if the ball went in the hoop, then really are you getting any better? And that is still something that I'm still, it's, it's, it's June and I'm still teaching that to kids. It's not just about doing doing it, it's about making sure that you did it correctly or, or wrong, which is fine too, but just learning from that process. And so when we talk about kind of the effectiveness of homework, I want to make sure that there's some feedback for kids and that they're seeing it, that they're understanding why they're doing it and that it's not just like, oh, Mr. Matson made me do this and I'm not even sure why. Because quite frankly, I see that sometimes. My kids spending 30 minutes at night that they have to do this thing that I'm really struggling to see the relevance and the effectiveness of, that is a harder pill to swallow.
Right. And kind of to wrap this all up, it sounds to me like kind of where we're landing on this is that homework is most effective when it is being used as a learning tool. When And when the students have buy-in that this is being used to help you understand the concepts and get better at whatever skill it is that you're trying to work on, be that algebra or essay writing or close reading or whatever. And so I think the takeaway is that as we are assigning homework, we should be very aware and cognizant of how that homework is going to be used and make sure that it is demonstrably helpful as the student goes on to do their other projects in class or the other things that they're working on. If the homework helps you be successful on the test, then it becomes a lot easier to do that homework because you know it's going to be useful. So those are just a few of our thoughts about good old homework. Anything we missed? Something you'd like to add? Just contact us on Facebook or Twitter at SchoolJapod. We'd love to hear from you. And now another word from our sponsor. As any teacher will tell you, the most difficult part of modern education is keeping the attention of today's distracted students. And the number one distraction? Cell phones. Kids today just can't get enough of them. But the good people at Pavlov Labs have developed technology that will rid you of this problem forever. Purchase their patent-pending electromagnetic transmitter that builds a static charge in all personal electronic devices within a 40-foot radius. Every time a student reaches for their phone, they will receive not just a new Snapchat message, but a painful shock. Within a week, your students will be too terrified of their devices to do anything but pay attention to you and your enthralling lesson on medieval economic theory. How could any kid resist? Pavlov's phone, shockingly effective. And welcome back. It's time to wrap up our time together with our favorite segment, Dad Dad Chat. Chat. It's our opportunity to tell you all about our upcoming summer break that we are excited about. Chad, take it away. Oh, man, I am so fired up. I got a great summer lined up. It's the summer of Chad. <laughs> huh. And family. Summer of Chad and family. <laughs> okay. Uh, I'm glad you threw right. that in so, there. So we got a few things going on. First of all, we are going to make a trip down to Southern California. Uh, my best friend from early childhood, who's still really close to me, lives down in El Segundo. And we're going to go spend 4th of July with him and his family. And then we're going to go hit Disneyland for five days. Uh, so I am so excited about that. It's going to be awesome. We kind of hit Disneyland about once every two or three years, and and uh, it's time. And then later on in the summer, there's a, a few kind of resort ranch places here in Oregon. One of them is called Sun River. It's a multi-acre, uh, a lot of bike riding and activities and pool and just kind of a lot of relaxation. So kind of the polar opposite of Disneyland. So we're going to do that in August. And then a big thing for me, and this is one of the reasons why we're able to do the Sun River trip is, and I don't think I've mentioned this yet on the show, but for the first time in my 16 years, I am not going to be coaching football. I've decided to step away from that for a while, not because I don't love it and not because it's not something I've enjoyed, but it's just, I got three young kids and it's a lot of time away in the fall when, when things are super busy. And also I've never really had an August, uh, available to me as a teacher because, you know, football starts pretty early. Those are kind of my big three. That's pretty exciting. Yeah, just a lot of stuff around the house, things like that, things that teachers do in the summer. Perfect. What about you, man? Well, this is not the summer of Clint. It's going to be the summer of Clint's children. God, you make me sound like such a jerk. Well, uh, you are, but (laughs) our kids are going to several different camps and other adventures. My parents decided with all their grandkids that when they turn 13, uh, they're going to take them anywhere they want to go in the United States for a week. And my daughter, Misha, gets to go to Hawaii starting when we're recording so just in like four days so that's exciting and then later on in this summer she and 
my son Ty are going to go to a summer camp in Utah with their cousins, and so they're going to go do that, and they have to fly out together. And Nikki and I are basically just staying home, and she's got a lot of work stuff that she's doing, and so it's just going to be a lot of getting the kids where they need to go. But one of the things I'm excited about is Sarah, my youngest, did Virginia Studies, which basically is in fourth grade, you study about your state, and you learn about uh, the history and the geology and all sorts of different stuff. And she absolutely loved it. I may have mentioned this before on the show. And so what we're going to do is she's going to help us plan a couple of day trips and maybe a couple of overnighters where we just go and visit the places that she learned about. And uh, she gets to kind of be the tour guide and decide what it is that she wants to do. And and we're just going to follow her and, and see what there is to do. And I'm really excited. I think it'll be nice to spend some time with just her for really the first time and kind of give her that extra, extra bit of attention. I'm also going to work on redesigning my class for next year. Uh, there's some changes in my schedule for what we're going to be doing, so I'm going to be planning a bunch of that stuff. But really, mostly just sticking around the house, working on a few projects, and uh, enjoying the time off. Dude, that sounds awesome, man. I mean, summer is upon us. This is this is great. Well, I kind of can't believe it, but it's already time to end the show and our second season of School Jeff. We plan to spend some time in the summer coming up with ideas for Season 3, and we'd love to hear your suggestions. Contact us at schooljapodcast at gmail.com or on our Facebook page at schooljapod. You can follow me on Twitter at Astoria. You can also find me on Instagram at chatterboxes and at my web store, chatterboxes.com. And don't forget about our website, schooljapod.com. And all our sponsors are fake. Hey, if you have any ideas for other things that can sponsor us, please let us know, because... We don't, we don't want that well to run dry. Uh, however, our artwork is not fake. A big special thank you to Corey Logan for our great cover design. And as always, a big shout out to my wife, Nikki, for our wonderful theme song. And if you like what you heard, please subscribe. And don't forget to give us a quick rating and review on Apple Podcasts. Really, I know we say that on every show when pretty much every podcast out there says the same thing. And I'm going to be honest, Clint, I don't rate and review enough of my favorite podcasts. But, you know, some of those have literally thousands of reviews, so I don't feel so bad. But it really does help us small fish out by increasing our listenership. So if you would please take just one minute of your time this summer to rate and review us, we would so appreciate it. (laughs) All right, Clint. I'm heading out to run through the sprinklers and eat a popsicle. Sweet. I'm going to go play on a giant tire swing and make myself a daisy chain headband. (laughs) Have a great summer, everyone. See you next fall. Uh